1: Scott Morrison is expected to call the election next week.
3: This is our vision for Australia. This is about Australians getting into homes. Best way to support people who are renting a house is to help them buy a house.
2: Morrison is not fit to be
0: Prime Minister.
3: Tonight it'll be Labor's turn. Labor will end the climate wars. But don't expect a radically alternative economic approach. Jan Fran Has Issues. Breaking down the election one issue at a time. Brought to you by Irrational Fear.
0: Hello, it's Jan Fran. I'm coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation. I just want to take a minute to pay my respects to their elders past and present. If you're listening to this podcast, you've tuned in to the very first episode of Jan Fran Has Issues. I am Jan Fran. I am riddled with issues. Most of them I speak about with my shrink. Some of them I save for this podcast. If you're on this feed hoping to listen to Irrational Fear and you're getting this and you're wondering, what is this? I've taken over the feed for the next eight weeks. So every Friday afternoon up until the election, we're going to take a look at a different issue. And when I say we, I mean me. And this guy who has not entirely disappeared and who is forever known to my mother-in-law as the crazy man who put up the billboards in Times Square. (laughs) Hello, billboards man.
1: Hello. (laughs) Can I just get something out of the way? Does this mean now I'm your shrink and you're paying me to do my own podcast? This has worked out to be an incredible boon for me. Hang on.
0: Let me clarify. You can absolutely play the role of my shrink. I will not be paying you a cent. Oh, you okay. get all nothing.
1: Right. Okay. Well, whatever I've got to do for the, to, for public service journalism. Jan, it is an absolute privilege to be on your podcast on my podcast feed. I'm excited to talk about all the things that we are going to be talking about over the next eight weeks. And I'm very excited about this episode, all about accountability.
0: Man, the A word. Look, (laughs) I put a call out on my socials um, just sort of saying to people, you know, what's the biggest issue that you think is the most important for you ahead of the upcoming election? Mm. And accountability, integrity, federal ICAC, it just kept coming up and going through all of the really sus government spending. There's a lot (laughs) of it. Before we get to it, though, before we get to the actual big issue, we're going to do something that I just do on a regular basis, and so do you, Dan. We're going to take issue with the political story that has happened over the last seven days. What are you taking issue with today,
1: Dan? I'm taking issue with this extraordinary thing that's coming out of the Solomon Islands. Apparently, there's a security pact about to be signed between the Solomon Islands and and China. Uh, China's going to provide a whole bunch of security services to the Solomon Islands. Now, traditionally, the Pacific Islands is the purview of Australia. We're the big swinging dick in the Pacific, not China. We're yeah. the ones who are, like, protecting our little cousins on their little Pacific Islands. But it, t- but it turns out China is kind of making inroads there and making a bit of a toehold in the Pacific, and it really caught a lot of foreign policy watchers in Australia flat-footed. They had no idea it was going to happen. Um, and it's, it, it's not so surprising to me. I, I spent a little bit of time in, on Manus Island a couple of years ago. And when I was in Papua New Guinea, I couldn't help but notice the infrastructure around Port Moresby was made by Chinese companies, was promoting China, big right. Chinese skyscrapers were going up for people that lived in, in Port Moresby. And it's extraordinary to see that that part of the world is becoming more and more, uh, you know, under the influence of China than Australia. Radio Australia shut off its shortwave radio to the Pacific without broadcasting Australian radio to the Pacific in 2017, and now those same shortwave signals are being broadcast from China. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's extraordinary. And
0: okay, uh, that I had no idea about.
1: Here's one other thing: how we've completely abdicated any kind of kind of soft power in the Pacific. Two years ago, a Pan Pacific Consortium of Pacific Islands asked Australia for help in developing a local uh, television production kind of culture and to tell Pacific stories and to help with a free press and journalism. But what they got from Australia was $17 million of Australian TV shows for free.
0: So was it just people at the Paci- in the Pacific just watching the Ferals reruns? Is no, that what was going on? It's worse
1: than that. It's wor- the Ferals is good. We're giving them better homes and gardens. We're giving them neighbors. We're giving them not only that, beach cups, paramedics and the best one is border security. Australia is giving border security for free to the Pacific Island nations so they can learn what it's like to be a brown person in a white person's country. It's very, very... Oh my it's God. very awful. Absurd. My point is, Jan, is that, you know, Peter Dutton and our foreign policy uh, watchers shouldn't be surprised that the Pacific Islands have chosen to be sheltered by China because, quite frankly, we've abused them long enough with Jonah Griggs showing off her hydrangeas. <laughs>
0: It's at the highest form of torture. That's that's torture. That is torture, yeah. So the story I'm taking issue with this week is um, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he was out spruiking the budget, of course, which was announced on Tuesday. Uh, And I think at at some point in the week he was asked about why there was no help for renters in the budget, right? He was doing the the TV rounds. Why is there no help for renters? This is what he said.
3: This is about Australians getting into homes. Best way to support people who are renting a house is to help them buy a house. Oh, I love a key pledge. I love a key pledge. It's my (laughs) favourite.
0: Yeah. The question was about renters, though. (laughs) Why no relief for renters? And he pretty much said... Well, if you want relief as a renter, you should just buy, buy a house. With our It's it's that easy, my friends, which just kind of it blew my mind a little bit. Someone described it as a as a real let them eat cake moment.
1: <laughs> let them eat mortgage.
0: Let them eat shit, yeah. you know. Um but You know what? You is, know what like, mortgage?
1: You know what mortgage is Latin for, right? No. Death pledge. Mortgage. <sighs>
0: <laughs> oh, shit. Well, there you go. But here's the thing, though. 30% of low-income people in the private rental market, they don't even have $500 in savings. Yeah for emergencies, let alone enough to put down on a 5% home deposit to be part of Scott Morrison's scheme. So I'm I'm not sure where he thinks this money for a 5% deposit is going to eventuate when you have people that are in a pretty dire financial situation, are renting a home and want help.
1: Yeah. Hmm. It's a game of Monopoly. Australia is just one big game of Monopoly, except you don't go to jail. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Jan Fran has issues.
0: You know, Australians aren't particularly, they don't particularly trust government. And it doesn't really matter which government it is. Like there is an erosion of trust in this institution of government. We know this, particularly among young people, right? Yeah. And that's mainly because there's mm, a lack of accountability, one would say, (laughs) a lack of accountability with how they spend your money, why they spend your money, where they spend your money, and also a lack of integrity. Some might say, which is why there's a whole bunch of people that are calling for a federal integrity body, which was already supposed to happen by now, but has not. Look, there's been a wee bit of sus government spending going on. There's the so-called sports and car park rorts sagas, where taxpayer money is alleged to have been spent on election sweeteners in marginal seats. There's government officials paying ten times the worth of land in Western Sydney... There's the assistant treasurer, allegedly aware of a scheme in which his brother, best mate and factional supporters were paid by taxpayers for political work. There's the head of Australia Post spending $7,000 on luxury watches. There's the $100,000 donated to independent MP Zali Stegall by a coal investor that was split into eight separate chunks, which means she didn't have to declare any of it. There's the cheeky million bucks that just appeared in former Attorney General Christian Porter's defamation against the ABC fund. No one knows where it came from, and an investigation into it was blocked by the government. Did I mention that all of this has happened since the last election in May 2019? This is why some – Labor, independents, certain Liberals and, if polling is anything to go by, the Australian people – want a federal ICAC. That is, a Federal Independent Commission Against Corruption, an organisation that investigates suss-as-heck government spending, among other things. Now, these bodies already exist in all the states. You'll remember, in October last year, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian resigned after the state's ICAC revealed it was investigating whether her secret... Close personal relationship. ..with disgraced former MP Daryl Maguire breached public trust. Now, I'm not saying she's corrupt, but I am saying that she has very bad taste in men. Thing is, there's no such body in Canberra to keep an eye on our federal politicians, but... The PM does want to change that, making a federal ICAC an election promise.
3: Uh, On the establishment of a Commonwealth Integrity Commission, we actually have a formal, carefully considered proposal.
0: Hmm. The only problem is that formally considered proposal was announced ahead of the last election and is yet to eventuate.
3: It is now more than 1,000 days since Scott Morrison promised to have a national anti-corruption body. Well, tick-tock, Mr Morrison.
0: Don't you just know that Anthony Albanese really wants to go the full Samuel L Jackson here?
3: Tick-tock, motherfucker! He could
0: never. Now, the Coalition has put forward a proposal for an integrity commission, except the proposed body wouldn't even have the power to conduct public hearings, something that transparency advocates say, eh, kind of important. I'm going to deduce that this was probably the point that Independent MP Helen Haynes went, fuck this shit, and put forward her own more robust Federal Integrity Commission bill. I've got to tell you, she really tried to move it along and get it debated in the House of Reps last year, but that move was blocked by the Coalition on a technicality, which led the member for Crocodiles, Bob Cadder to say the most honest thing he's maybe ever said.
3: Clearly a lot of us are very confused. I'm one of the dumber ones.
0: Some truth bombs there from Bob. But we're all confused, mate. Because despite saying it wants one, the Coalition has dilly-dallied, postponed, backtracked and generally come across like it does not want that federal ICAC at all. Here's Scott Morrison going off about how unfairly the New South Wales ICAC treated Gladys B.
3: What was done to Gladys Berejiklian, the people of New South Wales know, was an absolute disgrace, Mr Speaker. And I'm not going to allow, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to allow that sort of a process, which seeks to, Mr Speaker, seek to publicly humiliate people on matters that have nothing to do with the issues which before such a commission. You know, somebody gets robbed, they report it to the police.
0: Adam Masters is Executive Director of the Transnational Research Institute on Corruption at the Australian National University.
3: Taxpayers quite often don't know they're getting robbed because the people controlling the money and the people controlling the decisions are doing this behind a closed door.
0: Adam says the type of integrity body that we end up with, that's the crucial bit.
3: I think we can do a lot more damage by putting something half-hearted in.
0: He says, even if you're someone who really wants to see this government implement a federal ICAC,
3: wait just a little bit longer to get something you know that's actually going to that's going to last and going to be a little bit more proof against political interference in the, into the future.
0: Now, that might not be until after the election
3: if one of the independent bills that are, that's sort of based on this uh, pretty well done research if one of those was to actually be put forward for a vote i think that would be far better than the thing that's been proposed by the current major political party if the opposition comes into play and they are heavily reliant on independence you might see an appropriate bill come forward
0: well there are a bunch of independents running this year who are pushing for a strong federal integrity body. And depending on what that crossbench looks like in a few months' time, the major parties may have no choice but to listen to them. There you go. That is your ICAC wrap for your Friday afternoon. One of those independents, by the way, is Jo Dyer. She's going to be running in the South Australian seat of Boothby, um, which is currently held by the Liberal Party. Now, Joe's a really interesting one because Joe reckons that Canberra stinks. she doesn't just want to make a few changes. She wants to burn down the house and reconstruct modern politics. These are not my words, by the way, people. Mm. That is the name of her book. And Joe joins us now. Good day, Joe? Hi, Just have some small ambitions there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe, the thing I love about your book is that from start to finish it's just a, it's a clear record almost a list of everything fucked that this government has done. Uh, thank you for putting it all in one easy place for people like us to make fun of. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes it doesn't make for particularly edifying reading it has to be said but um, you know I try to make it as entertaining as possible um, as we wandered through the kind of the dark chaos that has been the last two, two years in particular kind of booking ended by black uh, summer bushfires and, and where we are now. So, Jo, for someone who
0: hasn't read your book, um, tell us what is it particularly about Canberra that has really got your goat? Why do you think it sucks so much?
2: Well, I think what's happened at the moment is that we've got this sort of terrible nexus of a government which has given up on governing um, if it was ever interested in it in the first place um, as opposed to just kind of holding power and wielding power for its own benefit um, and the benefit of those with whom it's ideologically aligned. And we can see that money actually flows pretty directly from the government to those with whom it's ideologically aligned. Um, So we have a do-nothing government at the same time as we really are confronting some hellishly appalling issues like major crises um, both on the kind of existential level um, but also more broadly I think uh, around issues of equity, some of which have been a direct result of the neglect that we've seen at a Commonwealth level and others of which, you know, with the the climate crisis which is upon us. I mean, yes, neglect but it's also willful bloody-mindedness, it seems. Um, So... That kind of terrible dawning reality that we are left with the worst leadership that we've had for some time um, at the very moment when we need the best, most imaginative and most courageous leadership, partly that was a driving force, partly it was also just frustration and rage at the government's absolute um, refusal to be held accountable for anything The lack of honesty. So integrity, yes, in terms of personal character and integrity in policy development, but actually just downright mendacity and lies um, is also something which seems to be characterising our political life at the moment. And it just, you know, just isn't good enough. Like I think that's in the end the frustration um, that so many people feel, and particularly in the independence movement, is that where we are now is just not good enough.
0: I think a lot of people might have that, Um, the same sense that you have. Not a lot of people put their hand up and run for federal seats though. You've decided to do that. That's a big decision. Um, Was there a moment for you where you thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it?
2: Look, there was. I mean, obviously, the course of last year for me personally was quite confronting um, because I was dealing with the government refusing to hold individual members um, to account in any way um, through the whole Christian Porter embruglio. Um, You know, that, that sort of the idea that you could sort of stonewall through credible allegations of a really heinous crime against the chief law officer seemed to me like jaw-dropping, um, but that was their agenda. And then similarly, uh, when Christian Porter himself managed to embark upon a path where despite the government's best intentions, they could no longer ignore um, the lack of accountability through his fundraising. That I guess that was the interesting thing, is that it was Porter's own decisions that led him to have to stand down and nothing that the government actively did. So there was a lot of incredulity about that, I guess. And that personal experience coupled with kind of the broader political agenda. But At that point in particular, it really did look like it was going to be a seat-by-seat arm wrestle um, as to whether or not this government could be levered out of power. And in that scenario, every seat was absolutely vital. So I thought, oh, well, fuck it, as you say. <laughs> Let's <laughs> give it a go.
1: It's so interesting what you say, Joe. It just seems to be endless amounts of stonewalling at any turn when there's any kind of scandal. It's just like, no, we're going to shut that down. We're not going to talk about that. No, no, we're done with that. They said sorry. We're moving on. It's like, hang on a second. There should be some level of accountability here. People should be fired. People are going beyond this mysterious prime ministerial code of conduct that has been put in place time and time again, yet there are no repercussions.
0: And Dan just said the magic word, the A word, accountability, which is exactly what this episode is about. How do we get more accountability in Canberra?
2: Well, look, I think it's the interesting thing because Scott Morrison was the original man, right, with the on-water matters where he just <laughs> asserted that the government would no longer talk about something.
1: That was my favourite phrase of 2015. Oh, my God.
2: It, and, and then that was sort of it. Everybody kind of moved on. He had the military props next to him and onward we went. And, and that seems to have been where things really started to go horribly wrong and you can trace them, you know, through Scott Morrison's various yeah. portfolios um, and so on. But it seems to me, That accountability in Canberra, you can do it really in two ways. And the first way, as your piece um, touched on, is actually having a National Integrity or Anti-Corruption Commission in Canberra. And that seems to me to be um, something that could be absolutely transformative. Obviously, it can catch out the baddies. Um, and that's, and you know, we've had a, a whole litany <laughs> of government ministers, of this government, um, who seems to have done, you know, supremely dodgy things when it comes to exploiting and misusing the taxpayers for personal benefit. Stuart Robert yeah. with his sky-high internet bills, Susan Lay flying herself up to the Gold Coast. A, to keep her flying hours up so she could keep her pilot's licence and, B, so that she could buy Buying an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so there's those sorts of personal things. Don't even start me on Angus Taylor because if we've only got, like, 15 minutes, we'd still be look, here
1: Look, then. this podcast only goes for half an hour. We can't yeah. talk about everything but no, 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 no. government <laughs> has done. But I, will point- I
2: had Angus
0: Taylor in that script and I had to take it out because there were so many examples. And I was given five minutes. I think something well, telling
1: um, in this in this week's budget, Joe, is that on the page where it says Commonwealth Integrity Commission, there is a budget line item with a big fat zero next to it. It's almost like this government is a little bit nervous that somebody's done a little bit of corruption in the past.
2: Well, mm. you know, look, that's the thing. And I guess the other thing is, is you know, so there's the personal corruption, but then there's this more kind of institutional corruption, um, which, I, you know, some people call it small C, but in the end I'm sort of not sure <laughs> that that's appropriate. Um, and that comes down to all of the I think things- there is a good C word for it. Yeah,
1: I think we're going for the same joke there, Jan.
2: I was going to say there's
1: plenty of people in parliament I call the Big C. And
2: look, and some so some of that is around just the way that money is misused. So you know, all of the port barrelling and the 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 car parks mm. and um, the redefining North Sydney swimming pool as regional to demo, to direct some regional funding there, those sorts Joe, of things. it's north of Sydney. I know, and people visiting, like, going there. Are you crazy? Like, of course it deserves regional funding. So there's those sorts of programs and there's just more and more of those discretionary grant programs, even more in, um, announced in the budget on Tuesday. But then separately from that as well, there is the way that sectional interests, corporate interests, ideologically aligned with the government, benefit from government spending. So that's like, you know, the way that CanStruct suddenly went from a company with no balance sheet and no staff to $1.5 billion contracts in five years with $101 million in profit um, for looking after 100 refugees. But then the way that the um, coalition fossil fuel donors, also just the recipient of huge grants. And there's lo- even Whitehaven, you know, with their mm. taking 70,000 tonnes of coal halfway across the world to Ukraine, I mean, at $31 million benefit. So these sort of insane examples that just keep coming up again and again and again. All of these things would be the purview, actually, of um, a national anti-corruption commission. So if Helen Haynes' bill was passed in the first 100 days of what I hope will be a minority Labor government held to account by an independent crossbench... I think that would be absolutely transformative um, because not only would things then be very squarely in the site, like retrospectively in the sites of the commission, mm. but politicians would know that they'd have this commission there scrutinising them that is going to hold them to account. So behaviours would change and we might see a purer, better evidence-based rational policy development process. But the very fact of... A crossbench, an independent crossbench as well, I think, would play an important role. and We've already seen independents play an important role in the current parliament, and that's without holding the balance of power, just in terms of shifting the debate, strategising around so that um, legislatures can both get up and be voted down. So I think those two things, I'd say, would be a really great um, innovation for the next parliament.
0: Yeah. Before we let you go, Joe, I I don't know if many of our listeners um are familiar with um where you've been in in public life in the last year and a bit, but you were very instrumental in advocating for your friend Kate, yes. um, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, now, Kate uh, was the woman that um, has accused the former attorney general of rape. Now, sadly, she's no longer with us. You've been really diligent in keeping her story in the public eye. What is driving you to do that?
2: Well, I think the the key thing that drives me in that regard is that Kate can't do it for herself, you know, and it really is yeah. as simple as that. I should not be telling her story. I should be a mere footnote in that particular story um, because that was something that she planned to do herself and had indeed embarked upon that journey herself, Um So the fact that she's not here but she was so clear and resolute that she wanted her story told and that she wanted Christian Porter held to account in some way. And I think that's the important thing um, for me to reiterate again is that what we have been calling for has never been an outcome. We have never said we will play, you know, judge and jury on this issue, but we have said um, that there needs to be a process of some sort um, where these claims were investigated. There is lots and lots um, of material and evidence and witness testimonies and so on that have never been made public. They're buried deep within the vaults um, of the federal court through the ABC defence, certainly. They can't be reported on, Um, and if people... But they do demonstrate pretty clearly um, that Christian Porter has been dishonest in what he has said uh, happened around that time and the way he characterized his relationship with Kate. So, all of these things um, could be tested, and certainly there needs to be something beyond what happened um, or they're needed. I have, you know, now that Christian is leaving public life, um, perhaps that is a moment where he's no longer saying he deserves to be in a position of leadership and as a private citizen, whether or not it's something that we can pursue. But certainly while he was still in public life and certainly whilst he was still in Cabinet, the idea that the only um, investigation which had happened was Morrison saying to Christian, well, did you do it, mate? And him saying, no, I promise I really did not. Um, That to this day is the only investigation that has ever Happened. The New South Wales Police never investigated it. It's never gone anywhere independently. So far, we don't know um, if the coroner is going to hold an inquest. So that and that's not good enough. That's absolutely not good enough.
1: Joe, thank you so much for putting your hand up to run. It's um, on this podcast we don't really endorse candidates, but if sure, you we, are political, listening,
2: you need to retain your integrity.
1: That, exactly right. But let me just put it to the audience: if you want integrity in parliament or you want accountability just take a look at the budget to see who's budgeting for it uh, joe <laughs> i hope uh, i hope if you manage to get in parliament we'll see a budget with something more than a zero next to it there for will accountability be a nice
2: big number next to it from this year and into the future
1: thanks joe excellent
2: thanks mate
3: thank you mate. thanks jan fran has issues
0: Weird election history. Weird election history. Yes, this is a segment that does exactly what it says on the box. Mm. I thought we should call it absolutely bonkers shit that you did not know about (laughs) Australian politics. Maybe we can get that sting redone for the next episode. But weird election history. We're going to be looking at the origins in this seg, Dan, of the term pork barreling.
1: Oh, such a weird term, isn't it?
0: Isn't it the weirdest term?
1: Yeah. We talk about corruption by the way of like pigs in buckets. It doesn't even make any sense.
0: Well, so for those who don't know what pork barrelling is, for starters, it's basically a term that's used to describe politicians spending big dollars in electorates that they want to win, right? So if there's ever any kind of sus money going to a marginal seat ahead of an election, that's often referred to as pork barrelling.
1: Think of your women's change (laughs) room for a football team that doesn't have a women's football team. Uh, Think about a parking garage in a place that's never going to have a parking garage. Oh, there's so many things.
0: There's so many examples of pork barrelling. But the question is, that term, where where does it come from? It comes from somewhere. And because it's such a weird term, I sort of wanted to hear a little bit about what where, you know, the people thought that term came from. Pork barrelling, is it the initiation to get into the Australian club, the Gentleman's Club?
1: As a queer person, I can confer that pork barrelling has its origins in the gay bear scene. Barrels are filled with alcohol
2: and pigs being filled with alcohol, which is pretty much Parliament.
1: Creates a um, three-dimensional sensory sexual experience. Uh, I actually may very well be an expert on the subject, so if you would like to discuss this more at length, please feel free to respond. Bye. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah mm. i probably won't be responding to that but i love the idea of pork barreling being a sex act that starts in the gay bear scene i'm here for yeah, that yeah yeah hey, you
1: up want to come around <laughs> to my place for some netflix and pork barreling bring it around <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. But do you have any idea where the term actually comes from? Oh, I, like, have have you ever thought about it, or you've just thought, oh, this is a weird term? I don't know. Maybe and it's, then moved on with your maybe, life.
1: Like maybe it's got something to do with like putting pork in barrels. Uh- <laughs> and you can distill it down to some kind of wine and then you bottle that wine and you give it to the premier to get a casino is that is that how (laughs) is that what it is
0: here is the origin of the term pork barreling i know we called this weird election history it should be called like dark election history because it gets it gets it gets pretty intense so yes it does come from actual pigs in barrels Mm. it's the states it's the 1800s yep. before fridges and people used to salt pork and they would put it in these barrels in order to preserve the pork, right? That's that, that's the only way they could do it. And it was usually these rich people that owned these barrels yeah. uh, and they became, you know, they sort of became like a commodity really. Like it was almost as good as having cash. If you had these barrels of pork, you were considered rich. <laughs> like you had money. No, seriously. Like I love the idea of yeah. walking
1: past someone and smelling them. Like, oh, that woman smells of bacon. Uh, I'm going to marry <laughs> that lady. Mm-mm-mm.
0: Look, put it this way. by By about 1860, the US Treasury was nicknamed pork barrel. Like that's how synonymous pork barrels became with money, right? right? But while the term sort of refers to corruption now, its origins, like I said, darker. There was a journalist who sort of looked into where it came from and he wrote around about 1919 that the term was inspired by the distribution of these salted pork, to people who couldn't afford it and also to to slaves in the American South. So, you know, slave owners, landowners would have these pork barrels and every now and again there would be a distribution of this salted pork and what this journalist wrote was that oftentimes the eagerness of the slaves would result in a rush upon the pork barrel in which each would strive to grab as much as possible for himself, and that kind of became a metaphor for like members of Congress rushing to get their little piece of the pie for their own little electorates from the big government money coffer. We should probably—I don't—we know we should probably rethink the term, and we should probably rethink the practice. Let's just let's just say that.
1: Jan, I, I think we need an Australian version of it. Um, I was thinking um, uh, keg stuffing. Uh, double sheep dipping, uh, or kangaroo pouching. Double kangaroo sheep pouching dip- is my favorite because, you know, kangaroos <laughs> already got a pouch. You can put little bits of money in there already. So it's really good. In fact, marsupial pouching. Uh, I want to be a bit more inclusive. Uh, kangaroo pouching really, really, uh, keeps it separated, but marsupial pouching is probably where to go there.
0: Love that. Marsupial pouching. Let's get it trending. Well, that is it for our show on accountability and all things related to accountability. I hope you enjoyed that. We certainly enjoyed sitting here chatting away.
1: Mm, I feel, uh, I feel energised. I feel excited that there might be some form of accountability on the horizon if we get a new parliament in. And um, that's um, that's my takeaway from this. I'm, I'm pumped up. Mm.
0: Well, next week we're going to be covering the cost of living.
1: Oh yes, and speaking of cost of living. Uh, Thanks to the Victorian Government, it is cheaper than ever to go see comedy festival shows because they've handed out gift vouchers for people to use in entertainment and Rational Fear is doing its very own comedy festival show April 10 on stage at the Forum, the biggest room at the Comedy Festival. Lewis Hobber, Alice Fraser, Dane Simpson, uh, Vijay Rajan, DJ Andy McClelland, Grace Tame, Australian of the Year, is going to be doing comedy, but also we have a special interview guest, Zoe Daniel, independent candidate for Goldstein. So um, get on down to Rational Fear at the Comedy Festival, April 10, and use those gift vouchers. cost of laughing will be a lot less. <laughs>
0: Yeah, man, if you're not happy with the slashing of the cost of living in this budget, you should be happy with the slashing of the cost of laughing by the Victorian government. There's no excuse to not go and catch the show. Uh, And make sure you catch our show next week, Friday afternoon. See you then. Bye. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.